everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Soundcraft Studios. Visit online at soundcraftstudios.com for all your needs. And brought to you by our official sponsor, the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author, Mia Molson's The Missing, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. We're here with a terrific gentleman who's a playwright and a filmmaker and a graduate of Columbia University with an MFA in uh, in film. And um, also, he also taught under, um, learned under Craig Lucas and Bogart and also... Um, Charles L. Me as well, and uh, he also directed videos for Allison Krause, Mark Lonigan, and the Spring, spring Sessions, and uh, also Darling Sides, uh, The Ancestor, which got over 200,000 views as well, too, and he also had some other productions like uh, Seven Lovers, The Now, Chasing Home, and One for One, a very special award, and he talks about the movie The Scottish Play, which is According to the experts, it's not crap. You know, we'll find out why. Live, ladies and gentlemen, plus studios in beautiful downtown Connecticut, the amazing multi-talented playwright and filmmaker, and also the director and uh, of the movie Sky's Play. Ladies and gentlemen, the multi-talented Keith Boynton. Keith, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you on board, Keith. So you're a playwright and filmmaker and a graduate of Columbia University, and you um you are taught under uh, Craig Lucas, and Bogart, and also Charles L. Me. You also directed videos for Allison Krauss, also Mark Lonigan, and the um the the Spring Standards, and also Darling Sides, um the Ancestor, which got over two hundred thousand views, and uh, that's an amazing accomplishment. And nice. one of your um films, uh, The Seven Lovers, won a special jury prize at the Royal International Film Fest. You also had The Now Chasing Home, and you got a brand new movie out called The Scottish Play, and we're looking forward to hearing about that. And before getting to all that, Keith. Tell us how you first got started. Oh, uh, yeah. How I first got started. So I uh, I discovered movies as an art form when I was about 13. And it was kind of in a bizarre way. It was through the reviews written by Roger Ebert. Oh, okay. Uh, Very famous. So, I love the Yeah, guy. I mean, one of the best ever, right? So I was at my... Exactly. That guy, right? He was the thumbs down <laughs> yeah. guy. Sometimes the thumbs up guy. He did both. Yeah. Along with Gene uh, Siskel. Those are great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I was just, I was at my grandfather's house and uh, looking for something to do, something to pass the time. And I just sort of at random, I grabbed this book of Roger Ebert movie reviews. And it really just opened my eyes to the medium and the way people could have passion for movies. Because I thought movies were just part of the landscape, right? I took them for granted. And it helped me to realize that it's an art form, that it can be taken really seriously. It can be a tremendous amount of fun. And uh, and that kind of got me interested. And then I started making movies myself when I was in college, sort of on a summer break between uh, two years of college. And uh, and I never looked back. I mean, it was uh, the first movie I made was an absolute disaster. It, it never came out. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I uh, crashed a truck. I literally almost died. But I was, uh, it was addictive, you know, once I'd done everything wrong, I wanted to do everything right. And I'm still kind of chasing that dream. Mm -hmm. And what was that one exact precise moment that simply influenced you into what you're doing for the rest of your career? Okay, so my first movie was something called Miles. So I'm 21 years old. It's the summer of 2003. And we, we've been shooting for a few days. We had a night shoot that was in a construction site we had no permission to be here at all it was basically just a dirt lot by the side of the road where they were going to build a house and they hadn't done much except sort of clear the land and we were doing a scene it was kind of a dream sequence with a bunch of crosses like the roadside crosses that you see as memorials mm -hmm. um, on the side of the road where people have died um and so we we showed up around dusk we set up a light on the roof of our van and it was the biggest light we had it was a a double 1K, so objectively not that big a light, but the biggest one we had. 
we turned on the generator, we turned on the light, and this field in the middle of nowhere at dark was suddenly flooded with light. Oh, wow. I, I was like, I can't ever do anything else with my life. I, this is, it was just the most magical moment. Um, and you, st I still get those moments, you know, it's um, every project that I do, that's at least one moment where you go, I can't imagine doing anything else. I can't imagine what would be more exciting than this. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it too, just got off to a really good career as well too. And what are some of your favorite um, movies that you enjoyed watching? Who are some of your favorite actors, actresses, and uh, directors growing up? Yeah. Well, I grew up, I watched a lot of old movies growing up. My family, we were old Hollywood devotees. My older sister, Caitlin, huge fan of Fred Astaire. We watched all of those. Uh, the movie that I usually cite as my favorite is It's a Wonderful Life, which oh, is which is appropriate. Yeah, the it's almost classic every year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's it's one that's very easy to take for granted because most of us have seen it a million times. Or if we haven't seen it, we kind of know it by reputation. But if you watch that movie with an open eye, it's incredibly, it's incredibly dark. It's incredibly smart. It's incredibly complicated. Uh, there are many, many, many layers to it. And there's every time I watch it, I mean, I've seen it at least a dozen times, probably more. Every time I watch it, I learn more, not only about that story, but about filmmaking in general. I think it's an absolute work of genius. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, one of my favorite actors, probably my favorite actor of all time. Uh, that movie is a huge source of inspiration. Um, it's a Wonderful Life, another classic screwball comedy, Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert. He's the hard-bitten newspaper reporter, and she's the spoiled heiress on the run from her intolerable fiancé. Another Frank Capra movie, actually, same director, brilliant, brilliant film. Um, I have watched movies made since 1946. Uh, so, I mean, I grew up on the on the great movies of the 90s, you know, so it was... It was LA Confidential and it was Fight Club and it was Goodwill Hunting. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, I guess the Big Lebowski, you know, a lot of these 90s classics were uh, were really influential for me. And uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you, obviously you can learn something from any film, from any filmmaker. I'm really inspired by the films of Christopher Nolan, um, especially, uh, especially Memento and The Prestige. Um, but anyone who's doing their work with real precision and real commitment, it transcends genre. So it's not like you can only learn about comedy from watching comedies or you only learn about thrillers from watching thrillers. There are elements that are unique to the genre, but there are also elements that are entirely the same. Like a real artist teaches you something about the art form itself, if that makes any sense. What's the one, what's the one unique uh, technique that you learned from all the uh, directors that you observed as well, too? What's the one that you that really, really stood out to you or and even applied to your uh, directing? Well, there, there's something, um, I mean, what I love about Nolan is that he's truly a storyteller. Um, so he, he doesn't get, he doesn't get distracted by the bells and whistles of filmmaking. I, th I think, especially when you're starting out, a lot of filmmakers are thinking about what's a great shot, what's a brilliant shot, what's never been done before. And, uh, and that can be a real distraction. Like the, the, the choices that you make aesthetically should come out of the story. And so I, I think Nolan is fascinating to me because he is the epitome of that. It's not what's an interesting shot here, but what shot conveys the story information. And the way that he talks about it is, you know, someone asked him what ties together all of your various movies. And it's a, 
you know, it's sort of a classic softball question. You could just say, oh, you know, the human condition, right? Or man's inhumanity to man or, you know, love and transcendence of, but he gave an ex extremely pragmatic and almost kind of technical answer. He said, what ties together all of my movies is a concern with point of view. Every yeah. scene, yeah, point of view, yeah. Something so basic, right? But every scene I've ever done is from a specific person's point of view. And every choice that I make in that scene is a result of that. And if I don't know whose point of view the scene is, I don't know how to do it. You talked about the point of views as well, too. It can be interpreted in so many ways, like in infinite ways. You know, it's like the Truman Show with um with, with Jim Carrey. It's just like, you know, mm -hmm. you have this theme that, um you know, you know, God's watching. And there are days it's like, you know, hey, Big Brother's watching. And again, aspect of it's like, you know, everything's being staged and stuff like that. So, you know, there's been many cases like that. And um, what movies do you think are, are just similar to that? Like, you know, different points of view. Like, I mean, what is a really good discussion on that? Yeah, let's see. Uh, I mean, I think every movie to one degree or another, every movie is from one point of view or multiple points of view, right? But every movie takes, the, the cinema is a very, very subjective art form. Uh, it's very much about putting yourself in the character's shoes. I think more than any other art form that I know of, uh, it's about that that vicarious experience, right? The protagonist is the stand-in for you. And at various moments, someone else, the antagonist might be the stand-in for you or just a bystander. But at every moment, you, you are seeing, cinema's very rarely omniscient. You can do more or less omniscient effects, but the tradition of cinema that has developed is almost entirely about subjectivity. And I think that's why Nolan singles that out as a, as a fundamental of storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, so it'd be easier to think about like what movies don't do this? What movies don't give you a really specific? Oh, I was going to say, let's get into that part. What, what, what they don't do or what's, what's, what mm -hmm. was missing in some of them. I think it's a good point you're bringing up too. So, well, yeah, there's, there's a shot. There's a really specific shot that sticks in my mind. And uh, this is getting pretty uh, nerdy, but uh <laughs> <laughs> but there's a there's a movie I love, right? The Avengers, the first Avengers movie directed by Joss Whedon. Um, and there's a shot really early on in the movie that sticks in my mind because it's it's wrong. And it's a great movie and he's a brilliant artist, but there's a there's a moment in the movie that's wrong, in my view. And it's when maybe even the first scene in the movie, certainly one of the first, it's uh Loki attacks the shield base and he opens up the Tesseract for the first time, right? He activates the Tesseract and it's this incredible visual effect, right? With this beam of energy kind of shooting into space, right? It's this incredibly spectacular moment, but we don't get a close up for like, I mean, it feels like forever. It's probably 15 seconds. Hmm. We don't get a close up. We just see this thing happening, this beam of light shooting into the sky and we don't see anyone reacting to it. Right? Of course, you do get reaction shots in the course of the sequence, Maybe but not. at this moment, right, the most spectacular moment of the whole thing, you know, you've got Nick Fury there and Hawkeye's there and there's lots of people who could be reacting and we don't see them. We're just seeing the event itself. To me, that's a huge, a huge small mistake, right? The impact of the moment has to be on a specific person. We, the audience, we don't care if a beam of energy is shooting up into the sky. It doesn't matter to us unless we see that Samuel L. Jackson looks worried. And if he looks worried, then we're worried because we know he's the coolest guy in the room. So there's a moment when they should be, and it's really an editing choice, right? It's not shooting because mm -hmm. they have that shot. There's a moment when they should be cutting to his close-up or someone's close-up and they don't do it. And I obsess about that moment because I think it's it's rare to see 
a mistake that blatant in a big movie and it tells you everything about how storytelling works and i think samuel jackson must have had too many snakes on the plane that's why he got a little frightened on that one either expecting snakes or had too many of them <laughs> well let's not blame him he did his best I'm kidding. I'm kidding. On that one. And, and, and and what do you think the one technique is the uh, most uh, overused in uh, today's um, movie making? The most overused or abused? I mean, I think, oh, that's a good question. The most abused. Um, you know, long tracking shots can be incredibly self-indulgent. Um, they can be so cool, right? They can be the, the coolest thing you've ever seen. But that's the problem, right? As soon as a technique is that seductive, right? And that enticing you start to overuse it and you start to do the long tracking shot just because you can or because it's cool or because you want to prove that you know how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that can, it can really interfere with the pacing of a scene. It can feel self-indulgent. And oftentimes, like the audience usually isn't thinking about this stuff. The audience usually doesn't know that you're doing a long tracking shot. Like most audience members don't think in those terms, but they can feel when something is off, right? They can feel when the pacing starts to lag. They can feel when they get bored. Or it's and, like, come uh, on, pass a popcorn, please. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, look, if you can pull it off, you can pull it off. And that's great. And I've played around with that myself. But, you know, nine times out of 10, the most effective way to tell a scene is with traditional coverage. And nine times out of 10, it's going to be a mistake if you try to do something uh, cleverer than that. Mm -hmm. It made me think of the Matrix as well, too. It was cool. And to go like this, you dodge a bullet or, you know, just go 3D. That, that's becoming the most abused technique out there. I see it. And when I, and I see it, it's like, Okay, <laughs> so you know, stuff yeah. like that. I'm not knocking the matrix, but sometimes those overused things, and we're on the discussion of film as well, too. And now he did some film, he also shot some videos as well, too, for um, some well known uh, celebrities, musicians, and more. We'll talk about mm. that. But first, listen to the Mike Widener show at the Mike Widener show.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all he needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention Mike Widener show to 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, International War Ring author Mia Molson-Zia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molson-Zia, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. It takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson-Zia has garnered great reviews. And Eve Eleven and George Bell, Howard's lovers, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and Minutes. So grab your copy today for it goes missing by Mia Molson Zia, available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at the MikeWidenerShow.com or for 40 podcast platforms heard in over 100 countries, including Facebook, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Music, and more as well, along with um, YouTube. Um, Rumble and also um, BitChute as well. Take the Mike Wagner Show with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Wagner Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Wagner Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies. Makes great gifts 24-7. Go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash me and Muslim Zia for great books like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles. Also, T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash me and Muslim Zia. Check it out today. I'll support the Mike Wagner Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the themikewagnershow.com. Make sure you do so today. We're here with the multi-talented playwright and filmmaker, graduate of Columbia University, Keith Boynton, here on the Mike Wagner Show. 
And, um, you know, when you talk about Scottish play in just a minute, you also directed some videos as well, too. Aside from the filmmaking, you directed videos for Alison Krauss, Mark Lonigan, and also the um, the Spring Standards as well, too. And also Darling Sides, The Ancestor, which got over 200,000 views as well. And um, tell us about tell us about some of the video making. What was it like working with these guys? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I should say I wasn't able to work directly with all of, of these artists. So in the case of Alison Krauss and Mark Lanigan, they had already recorded their track. Uh, it was for a children's album, actually, uh, which was uh, which was which was made by my mother, Sandra Boynton. Uh, so that was how I got involved with the project. I sadly didn't get to work with the artists themselves, but I did make a couple of videos that I'm incredibly proud of. Um, yeah, the music video thing, it, it sort of it happened by accident, frankly. I was uh, it was in grad school for playwriting at Columbia. And uh, so I'd sort of slightly started to drift away from filmmaking and then I was at a New Year's party with an old friend of mine, Don Mitchell, who was one of the members of Darling Side, which is one of my favorite bands on the planet. And I don't know, I think I had just directed my first music video for the Spring Standards. That's what it was. Through a friend of a friend, I had made one for the Spring Standards. And I said to Don, hey, I'd love to work with you guys. And that's how I, um, that's how I developed the relationship with Darling Side, which we, we made, I think, four videos for those guys, live action and animation stuff I'm incredibly proud of. And then, you know, once you've worked with a couple of bands, I mean, Spring Standard's also an amazing band. They know other musicians. So the word kind of got around that that uh, I and my buddy, Mike Lavoy were making music videos. And uh, that was what we did for, I think we did about three years solid of mostly music videos while I was in grad school. Um, they're nice small scale projects. It's nice that you don't have to record sound because recording sound can be challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was fun to do. It was fun to kind of explore visual storytelling. My feature films tend to be more dialogue driven. They tend to be very verbal, and so it, I was I was able to sort of stretch that visual side of myself and kind of push myself in that direction. Uh, they're all very very narratively driven because that's all that I know and care about. Um, but I made some stuff that I that I love and that I think stands up, and uh, and then that phase kind of petered out. You know, I haven't done a music video in several years now, and I don't have plans to do one. And maybe it'll come up again. But uh, yeah, it was sort of a thing that happened organically and then tapered off organically. Uh, and I, you know, that stuff is still out there somewhere. And definitely, I would encourage everyone to watch that uh, ancestor video by Darling Side, because that's a piece that um, the alchemy of all the elements just came together. It's a beautiful song. We had an amazing animator, Abe Diekman. My buddy Tim Hahn produced the animation. My friend Mike Lavoy and I uh, conceived of the story together and sort of worked out the whole script together. And um, I think that's actually a really meaningful piece, especially um, especially if you've lost loved ones. You know, it's it's kind of about life and death and uh, the meaning of it all. And uh, I think people find some meaning in it. Mm. That is certainly amazing. That's a great story, too, especially having your mom, Sandra Boynton, being a really good illustrator, author of children's books and everything, and just, you know, you know, kind of lineage down, which is amazing as well, too. And you also proceeded to uh, continue some other movies, like with Seven Lovers, which won the special jury prize at the Royal Island International Film Fest, The Now and Chasing Home. And um, tell us more about those, especially your accomplishments in Rhode Island. And if there's other films or other works you want to talk about, feel free to do so. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I've been making movies now, uh, as I said, since 2003, so almost 20 years. And, you know, the pattern is that every movie is kind of a step up in some way. So as I mentioned, the first movie, Miles, was a total disaster. The second one was The Now, 
which is probably the most fun I've ever had making a movie. Um, it didn't turn out like a super professional project product because I was still learning. We were all still learning, a bunch of young people. But it was certainly a step up. Uh, it was slicker. It was more professional. It was less of a disaster. <laughs> and then after that, it was a movie called Keeper. And that was kind of my first, my first real professional crew across the board. Uh, following that was Chasing Home, which was my the one feature that I made with Mike Lavoie, whom I mentioned. We were sort of filmmaking partners for about five years, close friends and filmmaking partners. But we only made one feature together called Chasing Home, which was a speed feature. We challenged ourselves to make a feature film from script to finished product in four weeks, which wow. is not really possible. Um, but we did. Uh, we did do it despite that it can't be done. Um, so th and that was a real step forward for me because despite that we only spent four weeks on it, it was um, it felt like a fully realized movie in a way that some of the early stuff, it felt like I was reaching for something that wasn't quite within my grasp. And Chasing Home, although it's not a perfect movie, it was it was a story on the scale that we could tell and that we could tell in a credible way. Um, and I got to give Mike Lavoie a lot of credit. He did most of the screenwriting on that. He played the leading role in it. And he, um, yeah, he really made that movie into what it was. Um, the next one after that was Seven Lovers. That was my first uh, big project after I parted ways with Mike Lavoie. Uh, he's still alive and we're still friends, but we but we don't make every movie together anymore. Um, so Seven Lovers was was another kind of big step forward where I I was working with actors. I had a casting director. I was working with actors that I didn't know personally. Um, so some that were sort of semi-famous or at least famous in my mind. Um, I mean, no, like actors with real credits, you know, uh, with real mm -hmm. uh, with real presences, and so that was that was exciting. Um, and the movie was again, it was just another step up. It was like oh, a little more polished, a little more professional, <laughs> getting it done. Um, and then the Scottish play is the one after that. So it's my sixth movie out of seven. I've made one, another movie since then. And, uh, and Scottish play was, it was yet another step forward. It was like, mm, yep. like seven lovers is I think fully realized, but Scottish play takes it to yet another level. And, mm -hmm. uh, I just couldn't be more proud of the thing. I watched it again just a couple weeks ago. We did a live screening to celebrate the online release. Um, and it was, uh, Honestly, I was a little bit blown away by it. I, I sort of thought, you know, this is this is good stuff. <laughs> that is around. So we'll talk more about the Scottish play as well, too, with uh, Keith Boynton. You listen to the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com, powered by SoundCloud Studios, and brought to you by our official sponsor, the Mike Widener Show, international warring author Mia Molson's The Missing. We'll be back with the multi-talented playwright filmmaker Keith Boynton of the Scottish play after this timeout. We're back with playwright filmmaker Keith Boynton of the Scottish Play here on the Mike Wagner Show. And um, you also you know, had uh, talked about some videos. You also had Seven Lovers, won the special jury prize, Chasing Home Keeper as well, too, and the Scottish Play. And uh, tell us more about the film and how did that first come about, the Scottish Play? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so the Scottish Play is uh, sort of a romantic dramedy, all set in the world of Shakespeare productions. So it's a modern-day piece. Uh, about a troupe of actors who put on a production of Macbeth. Now, the legend in the theater world is that Macbeth is a cursed play. And uh, this is why people refer to it as the Scottish play, to avoid saying the name of the cursed play. Ooh, so the, yes. the movie kind of plays with that concept. What is the curse? How did it come about? Is it real? Uh, and without giving away too much, I can say that in the course of the movie, the ghost of William Shakespeare shows up and starts interacting with one of the characters and she has to decide whether she thinks that's really happening or whether she's losing her mind. <laughs> um, it's a, and I won't reveal the answer, 
but it's a it's a really sweet it's a sweet and charming movie it's a love letter to the theater it's a love letter to william shakespeare uh it's a movie for anyone who loves the arts um and it's a it's about yeah it's about love and art and life and transcendence and ghosts and magic and massachusetts and lady macbeth you gotta you gotta remember that lady macbeth for sure for sure um yeah so that's the movie and uh it came about because i wanted to i wanted to play in that sandbox i love shakespeare i think he's a fascinating figure partly because we don't really know very much about him and also because his work is so incredibly vivid and alive after all this time um so i wanted to play with him as a character and as a writer and i sort of conceived of a plot device the ghost that allowed me to to do that and it's uh it's everything i wanted it to be i mean i, I wrote the script Oof, more than six years ago now. It's been wow. a long process uh, getting it to the screen, but it's finally available. It's out on Amazon. It's out on iTunes. It's on Google Play. You look it up, check it out. It's, uh, it is worth your time. And where can we find all your works at, Keith? Say it again? Where can we find all your works at? Oh, uh, well, so Seven Lovers is available on Amazon and I think a couple of other places too. Uh, most of the sort of standard platforms that I just mentioned. Scottish Play, Amazon, iTunes, uh, etc. cetera. Um, most of the stuff is somewhat unavailable. Chasing Home is on Vimeo. The ones before that never quite made it to release, which is probably just as well because they were learning experiences. <laughs> I was still I was still learning. And then my new, new movie is called The Winter House. And we shot that just a couple of years ago. And that should be out next year on all the platforms. It's got Lily Taylor. It's got Francois Arnaud. It is an intimate romantic drama uh, with a thriller component. It's about two strangers sort of thrown together in a remote lakeside cabin in New Hampshire in the dead of winter, and they have to find a way to come to terms with each other. I will say no more, but it's uh, also a movie I'm very proud of. And, say uh, no and more. And, and, and what's the name of the movie again? The Winter... The Winter House. The Winter House. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're certainly looking forward to that. and love to have you back and talk about that. We're with Keith sure. Boynton, the playwright filmmaker here on the Mike Wagner Show with the Scottish Play. And um, Keith, uh, what else can we expect in 2023 uh, and beyond besides uh, the, the Winter House? Well, I'm trying to get into horror films. I am slowly starting to discover my own passion for horror films after many years of, uh, of avoiding them. And my brother, actually, my brother Devin has conceived of a really brilliant concept for a horror film. And we've, we're now on draft two of the script. I think it's coming along nicely. And so if all goes well, knock on wood, I'll be shooting my first horror film, which is called The Haunted Forest in the fall of 2023. Wow. Uh, we'll, we'll be shooting in Maryland at a real uh, haunted forest. When I say real, I mean, it's like, it's not really haunted. It's a real uh, amusement park, effectively, mm -hmm. on the theme of haunted forest. Uh, it's a beautiful place. It's called Markov's Haunted Forest. And uh, it's our cousins, the Markovs, who run this thing. So uh, this is all in the very early stages and nothing is definite yet, but I'm hoping to shoot that next fall. I'm really happy with how it's coming along. And uh, yeah, maybe that'll be a start of a whole new career for me. Maybe I'll become a horror guy. We'll see. Sounds pretty scary. I'm kidding, by the way. And uh, <laughs> of course, that's a big trend as well, too, with the horror films. And um, also, lastly, who do you consider biggest influence in the career? Ooh, biggest influence. Um, I mean, I, I guess I this is going to be a cliche, but I would have to say my parents, you know, they've been just, they're incredibly inspiring, incredibly supportive. They're amazing people, amazing artists. And uh, they just encouraged me to, uh, I don't know, follow my dreams and uh, and make, make things that I believe in. And uh, without their help or their support, it would never, ever have been possible. So <laughs> I would say that.
and certainly amazing too. And what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? Oof, uh, make stuff, make it now, make it cheaply, then make more. Uh, don't wait for permission. Don't wait to make a big hit with your first thing or your second thing or your third thing. Don't wait for anything. Um, always be writing, always be creating, find other people who want to create uh, similar kind of stuff on a similar kind of level and, uh, and be aware that it takes forever. It just takes forever. Um, and you're never done. You never arrive. You know, you, you might get a breakthrough at some point, but there's never a moment when you've made it. You just got to keep making stuff and making stuff and making stuff. And eventually you may have the privilege of dying. <laughs> That's really unique. I like that approach. And uh, I was trying to write it down as we speak here, but I said, we'll just live it here. So <laughs> <laughs> we're here, a playwright, filmmaker of the Scottish play, Keith Boynton here on the Mike Wagner Show. Keith, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to having you again soon. Keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Love having you back. And once again, what's your website? How do people contact you? Where can people purchase or check out your works, especially the Scottish play and more? Yeah. Uh, so there are two things that I would say on the internet. Uh, go to scottishplaymovie.com for inter information on that movie specifically. You watch the trailer, you see stills from the film, and uh, it also has the links to all the various streaming platforms. And then if you want to find me personally on the internet, uh, the best place is probably Facebook. I have a uh, an author page, which is called Keith Boynton, Writer and Filmmaker. That's kind of my main landing place. I'm also on Instagram at Keith Boynton. But uh, that's more just pretty photos. So uh, if you have Facebook, that's probably the best way to, to find me. We'll certainly check that out. Once again, Keith, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to having you again soon. Keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Love having you back and wish you all the best. And Keith, you definitely have a great future ahead of you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mike.